I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thorough Talk. I'm Thorough Bailey, and uh, of course, I need to start out with saying this. I hope that all of you out there are taking care of yourselves and your family and and uh, just, just heeding the advice and following the recommendations of the local and national uh, health organizations, because uh, COVID-19 is not a joke. I think we all know that by now. And in order for that to, for that so-called curve to be flattened, we've got to do our part. So I hope you're doing your part. But Josh, I miss basketball. And, and if you want, if you wonder who Josh is, Josh is in the studio with me. He's my my producer. I miss basketball, Josh. Uh, I, I can't even. It, it's painful. It is, you know. It's painful. It, it's unfortunate that. I mean, it's fortunate that we can say that we miss basketball. Like, uh, there's no one sick in either of our lives, so that's yeah. that's a plus. But yes. uh, the the horse the horse shooting competition isn't cutting it. It's just not. It's, it's not, not doing it for you. Nah, not even close. And listen, I never thought I would. Even, people ask me all the time, "What well, do you miss playing? Do you miss basketball?" And I would say no, right? And I definitely don't miss playing. I mean, my my mind says I can come back, but my body says, "What are you thinking?" Um, but I miss it, right? I yeah. miss broadcasting. I miss watching it. So what do you do if you don't have basketball? never thought I'd, I'd be at this point where I'd be without it. I'll tell you what you do. You bring on to your, your podcast somebody who can kind of ignite that excitement again, and we have just that guy today. And and he's somewhat of a uh, – like a, a, a folklore. And, and, you know, when people say lore, a lot of times – that connotates like um, people making up stuff, not this guy. Hey, whatever you read, whatever numbers are out there, you can go and look it up. Uh, Jimmer Fredette was a real deal. And I want to welcome Jimmer to Thorough Talk. Jimmer, how you doing? I'm doing great, Thorough. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. And I, I got to start out by asking you, you know, how are you holding up right now? I know you've got to be missing it as well. Um Tell me a little bit about how your life has changed since uh, the coronavirus has really made us all live differently. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a very different experience this year, uh, as far as a basketball player can, is concerned. You know, I was over in uh, Athens playing for Panathinaikos uh, in the Euro League this season. It was my first season over in Europe, 
and um, you know we were having a, a good season. Things were going really well, and and we were playing well, and and I was having a lot of fun, and you know the family was over there, and, and just enjoying the, the European life a little bit different, um, you know, pace, still yeah. di- different basketball than than China, and and uh, so it was, a, it was a nice change up, and and then all of a sudden we you know we kind of heard, you know, all the stuff that was going on in China, yeah, uh, with the virus at first, and didn't know exactly what to think much of it and we continue to play and continue to, to work and then we you know started seeping into other countries specifically in uh in italy yeah. in and uh in northern italy and we play um you know in the year league we play against milan which is in northern italy so that was a big concern uh the first thing for the euro league so the italy league shut down first and then from there it all just kind of came tumbling down after that and we were kind of just in a waiting game Knowing that we were our season uh, was going to get suspended at some point, um, and ultimately, you know, mid mid March, um, the Euro League and the Greek League both got suspended, and uh, you know, I was on a flight about two or three days later after we heard that after our team gave us permission to go home um, on a flight home, and uh, you know, got back to to the U.S. safely and and everybody's healthy and everything, but um, you know, the the customs to get through. Uh, the USA was took me about six or seven hours to get through that that day because everyone was trying to get home from Europe and different places. Um, so it was pretty crazy, um, but uh, just a unique experience. I mean, there's not a whole lot of closure right now for the season. You know, we've we we've been playing, uh, you know, for six or seven months already since August, yeah. and uh, having a good season, having a chance to make the playoffs and maybe make a Final Four run in the Euroleague. Uh, we had a talented enough team, and um, you know, it all got shut down and and now we're home and and i'm glad to be here in in denver with my family and enjoying the time with this but uh definitely no real closure for the basketball season right now yeah and you're definitely not alone and it's crazy too jimmer because you know i was in oklahoma city with the jazz when that domino fell in the nba um to to i I was there with craig bowler jack and and my crew to call that game and it was a very surreal moment because we we knew from a distance you know, talking about Europe and China, that that it was getting pretty prevalent there. But I think it was inevitable. But just to be kind of caught up in it yourself um, with the with one of the teams who was actually a part of that domino falling was was just incredible. But hey, we're, we're going to yeah. come we're going to come back and touch on your European career in a little bit. But right now, man, I, I want you to let's, please take us to Glen Falls, New York. You know, take us to take us to Glen Falls, New York, and and tell us a little bit about Glen Falls and and how you grew up uh, there. And I and and I read a little about little little bit about Glen Falls. It's kind of a quaint quaint town, right? Do I call it a city or a town? Because I know it wasn't very populated. It's it's not. It's only about fourteen thousand people, but it is considered a city. It's a very small city. Um, it's uh, in upstate New York. We're about thirty. 30, 35 minutes from the Vermont border. Okay. So we're all the way to the east side, and we're about thirty mi- or uh, three hours straight above New York City. And uh, it's a really, really, uh, like you said, quaint town. Um, it's, it's small. It's about two miles in, in square radius with about uh, 14,000 people. So there's a lot of people kind of jam-packed in that little town, a lot of apartment buildings and, and ha- home, old, old homes that used to be, you know, big big old homes and now they're you know apartment complexes and all these different things so 
it's a kind of a town where it's a very blue collar. It started, um, you know, the, there's a paper mill there that uh, most of the people were employed in at first. And now, um, you know, the ho- we have a hospital there and, and now it's, you know, a lot of small businesses and everything, but it's a very blue collar, t- collar town and hardworking people. And, you know, pretty much everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but we're a very, uh, we have very solid uh, sports. So where would you where, where would you take me to eat? I'm hungry. Where where would you take me to eat in Grand Falls? But one hundred percent, my boy's place, uh, Italian place called Angelina's. Okay. Some of the best pizza I've ever had. Uh, Italian spot. They have delicious pizza. Um, you know, pasta, that type of stuff. So hundred uh, percent, Angelina's. So if anybody's in that area, make sure you check it out. And uh, so that that would be the spot for sure. All right. Hey, so you know. I, as much as I've I've read about your story, and those who have yet to, I can I can't imagine anybody in the being in the basketball world not knowing. Uh, and if they and if they don't, then they they've just been they've been quarantined a lot longer than than I thought. But um, you know, normally, as I look at my childhood, there might be one, maybe my dad, that was kind of beneficial in being all in. I mean, I grew up in a different time. So, but I'm looking at your life growing up as a kid and your whole family bought in early with your goals and dreams. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, it was uh, definitely interesting. I came from a very uh, sports oriented family. My mom's side of her, uh, her family, they were all, coaches and gym teachers and athletic trainers Um, you know that's just that's what they did and so my my grandfather was a legendary coach in a small town called Whitehall New York and he's in the New York State Hall of Fame uh, for coaching and was a just a a influential coach in that area so I kind of grew up um, in my blood and my dad um, played football at Central Connecticut in college um, and was a really good athlete himself um, so from a young age, sports was in our blood, and I and my brother and my sister are both older than I am, seven. My brother's seven years older, my sister's nine years older. So I grew up watching them play, and and I was playing with such older kids at a young age. And, you know, my parents and my brother and my sister all kind of saw that I had just a, a knack for sports, and in basketball in particular, but they also saw, you know, how competitive I was at a young age how I wanted to win, how I wanted to get better, how I wanted to play hard. Um, so they never they never forced me to, to play or to do anything like that, but they kind of just honed that competitiveness and, and then took me out and, and let me play with them and older people and then, you know, worked on my game and everything from a young age. And, and since they saw that competitiveness and everything, they were like, hey, well, you know, you never know what can happen. Let's, let's you know, give it a go and just work on his game as much as we can and put a lot of energy and, and effort into that and see, see where it goes. Now, so, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. Now, wait a minute. You're seven years younger than your brother, right? And, yep. and, and listen, I know a lot of older brothers that wouldn't even think about letting their little brother come into sure. their, you know, to, to their arena, so to speak, in that older group. So, I mean, that sure. was you know, your, your brother – must have saw your brother's TJ, right? It is TJ. Yep. And, and so that was a huge plus for you to be able because if you hadn't had that, what would have been your second option? 
For sure. I mean, that was a that was a huge blessing, obviously, that he wanted me to be a part of it, and he he wanted to be a part of it himself. And um, you know, the second option, <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I didn't really have a second option at that point. You know, it was it was basically you know basketball, and my my goal was you know ultimately I wanted to make it to the NBA. That was my goal. But I knew first before that I had to kind of you know start making goals, intermediate goals to get to my ultimate goal. So you know yeah. I'd set goals, um, you know being MVP of a, a league or you know winning the conference in our high school and and winning the you know the sectional championship and then getting to a Division One scholarship and doing all these things on the way. And as I saw myself continue to hit these goals, you know we kept moving forward, but. You know, going back to my brother, yeah, he, I mean, he, um, he realized that at some, at a certain point, he's like, I don't think I have the talent to be able to reach my, you know, his dream wow. was to play basketball as well. The one. So he's like, so because of that, let's try to put my energy and effort into, uh, to help in this one. Cause I think he's got a, a lot of talent and a lot of, uh, competitive spirit and, and something that uh, is a little bit different than the other kids that he's playing against. So he saw that and, um, put a lot of energy and effort into trying to help me get better at a young age. And he had no problems with me hanging out with him and his friends. And which is, I mean, without that, I, I wouldn't have been as um, advanced as I was at a young age and, and ultimately my development. No question about it. I mean, even in the world of sibling rivalry for him to be able to really sacrifice at a certain point and say, man, I see something in my kid brother. I want to help him get there. And, and so yeah. let's talk about your dad, your dad, Al. Now, it sounds like he introduced you to kind of the schoolyard competition. Oh, yeah, for sure. My dad, uh, he was our coach all the way up until, you know, we could start playing, you know, basketball in school because he, he wasn't a teacher, so he wasn't able to teach, teach it. He wasn't, in a, you know, a, a basketball um, coach in the school district, but he always coached us in the summers, in AAU in the summers, and all the way growing up. And, um, you know, the thing that I love, loved about my dad is that he didn't treat me any different than any of the other kids. Um, you know, he, he never, you know, w- had any special treatment or made me think that I was any better than anybody else. He treated me just like everyone else. So uh, he wanted me to work as hard as everybody else or harder, um, you know, and, and he was he was definitely wanted me to, to progress that way. And I think having that type of mentality just made me, um, you know, blue collar and, and kind of feel like I was, um, you know, I wasn't there yet. I needed to keep working. I right. needed to keep getting better um, in order to do that. And he, he would always bring us, my friends and I, uh, to all these, you know, three-on-three basketball tournaments outdoors. He would take us to Hartford, Connecticut. He'd take us to Boston, Massachusetts, and, you know, Syracuse, New York. And we'd go to all these places and some of the inner cities and play, um, you know, these three-on-three outdoor basketball tournaments, like Gus Macker and, you know, all these different tournaments. And we used to love doing that. And we would win a lot of them. And uh, people would be surprised when they saw us. And we'd go out and we'd play hard and we'd win. But that built up our mental toughness and our physical toughness to play outdoors and you know you have a kid out there refing so he's not no one's calling any fouls and you never know what the score is you have to you know make yeah. sure that you're keeping track <laughs> yourself and all these different things you know what i mean that just made you want to just, just love the game it was just so much fun to be able to do that but it also was building character and guild, building up your your mental and physical toughness at the same time so he definitely introduced us to that well, the other thing it did was it paid for an education, 
right? I mean, uh, you you obviously <laughs> were good enough to play at the next level collegiately. You had a great high school career and uh, had a bunch of offers, and and you chose to go to BYU. As a matter of fact, I think your sister Lindsay was there. Was that was that a major yep. part of your decision, or what led you to BYU? Yeah, so good question. Um, you know, first, to, just to say, um, yeah, my dad, you know, told me, you know, we didn't make a whole lot of money or anything growing up. So, you know, I was going to have to pay for a lot of my college and my, my parents would help as much as they could. But he told me, you know, growing up, he's like, all right, so, Jimber, you can either get a scholarship to pay for your school or you have to stop right now and, and get a job. Mm-hmm. It's one of the two, you know. So, and I was like, all right, well. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make sure that I get that scholarship. <laughs> and I worked every hard every single day so that I made sure that that could happen so that I didn't have to get a real job. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, so that was funny, but, uh, yeah, my sister went out to BYU. She's nine years older than me. So she left early. I mean, she left my house when I was about nine years old. When she was 18, she went off to school. So I didn't really know a whole lot about BYU at that point. I just knew that my sister had gone there. And then when I got older, um, you know, 16, 17 years, 15, 16 years old. My sister was still living out there. She married a guy from Utah, and she was still living out there. So I was familiar with Utah um, and went out there a couple of times to see my, my sister. And, and then once I started getting good at basketball, you know, my dad told me, hey, do you, is, is BYU somewhere that you would think you would want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think so. I don't know a whole lot about it, but uh, it, it's definitely on my radar. So my freshman year of high school, we went out to uh, BYU just for a regular basketball camp, just one of their regular basketball camps, and no one knew I was coming. My dad just signed me up for it, and we went out there, and, and uh, you know, I started to play, um, you know, against, against kids, and it was playing really well, and, and the coaches, you know, were always hovering around, and Coach Rose saw me play once, and he was looking over. He's like, man, who is that kid? What? <laughs> Who is that? I need, I need to know his name. So every once in a while, he would continue to, you would just see him kind of hovering around my game, just in different gyms that I was at. And then finally, he saw my dad and, and talked to him and asked me about him. And, and uh, you know, since then, they've been recruiting me on the AAU circuit and in Glens Falls and different things. So that's how I kind of got on their radar. And then, you know, ultimately, when I made my decision, it was either BYU or Siena College, which was really close to me, only about 40 minutes away, who also had a really good basketball program, who had been in the NCAA tournament like three or four years in a row, and their coach was Fran McCaffrey, who was a really great coach, loved him, and um, and ultimately I decided that BYU was the, the best situation for me and and uh, made my way out to Utah. Any other any powerhouses on that list? So. I wasn't super heavily recruited, what? honestly. I um, I was not like um, I was. BYU was the biggest school that offered me a scholarship, um, basketball wise. I was mostly, you know, Siena College, uh, St. Bonaventure, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of Atlantic Ten schools back in the day. Atlantic Ten schools. So I had about eight or nine offers, uh, mostly from small schools, but no Big East schools, no Big Ten schools. No ACC schools um, offered me any scholarships. How'd that make you feel? I mean, did you expect that, or were you like, you know, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of both. I, I mean, I was from a small town, so people didn't know a whole lot about me. But the thing was, is I went on these AAU circuits, and I was playing for one of the, one of the best teams in the country, the Albany City Rocks, and we would go to these these tournaments, and we'd do really well. And oh, go ahead and say it, Jimmer. You were killing them. Go ahead. You, I mean, 
I know you're a good guy. Go ahead and say <laughs> no, you were killing sure. them, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was having some great games. I was having some great games for sure. And uh, it would be against some of the best kids in the country. You know, O.J. Mayo back in the time yeah. was the first player, best player in the country, and Michael Beasley and, and Eric Gordon and all these guys that, that were in my, my class and Derek Rose. And, uh, you know, I'd play really well, and I'd score 25, 30 points, but most of the coaches I'd play in front of were there to watch someone else. Right. So I think they'd see me play and be like, wow, that was really good, but I think, you know, I didn't know much of it, and then they would go watch the other kid. They wouldn't stay watching me. Hmm. And uh, But BYU was always there. Sienna was always there. And uh, so I knew it. I knew at some point um, I didn't think I was going to get any big offers, um, which was fine with me. I was more, you know, worried about, you know, getting in the right fit obviously you know as a person and as a competitor it you know it gives the chip leaves the chip on your shoulder which yeah. is i think good to have so but, it drove uh, you it drove you didn't it yeah for sure i think it, it definitely drove me but it also it didn't make it so that i was you know stir crazy or anything like that i was like all right well i'm gonna show them who i am and i'm gonna get out there and and uh, to byu and i'm still gonna make my goal it doesn't matter where i am i have a goal and i can do that from anywhere so it sounds like you were, you were a gold setter from a young age, and you know there's going to be a lot of young people as well as middle aged to older people like myself, Jim, are listening to this. Um, and so I think you just really hit on something about goal setting. I don't know if you had these goals written down, or you just knew in your mind um, what you wanted, and you were going to figure out a way to take the steps to do it, but. Um, it sounds like that was ingrained in you early on. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was. And it was something that I, I wrote my goals down. That was it's something I still do to this day. And uh, something that I think is very, very powerful. Um, I, this was this came from my mom. My mom is very um, was very goal-driven, but she's also very big into the brain. And basically, she, she believes that if you believe you can do it and you see yourself doing it on a daily basis, that your brain doesn't know the difference between real life and you actually, you know, thinking about it in your brain. So because of that, there's so much power in, in the brain of when you see something and you truly believe it, that, you know, you can make it happen. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, you know, one of the first steps of, of trying to reach your goal. Now, I'm not saying that if you write it down, you're ultimately going to reach your goal. That's not a hundred percent guarantee. Um, but it's a, it's a really good step and if you truly believe it and you see it every single day it's going to at least give you um uh, more of a chance to to reach that goal in my opinion just because you're thinking about it you're living it you're seeing it every day you have it in your mind um and it's something that's super super powerful so my uh, one of the things that i'm sure people have heard about is my brother wrote a contract for me Mm -hmm. when i was young and uh, this was a contract about um, reaching it to the NBA. And he came to me one day, and he wrote this down. He said, um, here, I have a contract for you, Jimmer. And I was like, well, what do you mean a contract? He's like, well, just look at it and, and, and sign it with me. So I looked at this piece of paper, and it's just a white blank piece of paper. And it said, I, and then it had a name for um, a place for me to put my name. So I put my, my name, James. My real name is James. So I put James T. Fredette. Uh, will re- make the ultimate sacrifices, the uh, ultimate necessary sacrifices, um, in order to make it to reaching my ultimate goal of playing in the NBA. And I signed it, and then TJ signed it as a witness, and I put it up over my bed, 
and um, you know I, I looked at that every single night um, and every morning before I went to bed and when I got up to go to school and I truly think that it was something that was very very powerful in my brain to just keep myself driven and keep my goals um, uh, on track especially um, you know when when things aren't going well and things are tough you just think about that and think about what your ultimate goal is and and uh, keep yourself motivated to do that. Hey, Jimmer, you just made the hair on my head stand up, dude, and I'm bald, right? So <laughs> that, <laughs> oh, was, that was that was powerful, man. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and start off with uh, the jump to college, and we'll talk about that for a minute as we continue with Jimmer Fredette on Thrill Talk. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back, everybody, to Thrill Talk. We've got the great Jimmer Fredette on with us today. And uh, just before we went to break, a powerful message about goal setting and writing goals down and and knowing that you can't do it alone. You've got people around you that have bought in, like Jimmer's brother, TJ, and his mom, who gave him the basketball name, Jimmer. Um, <laughs> yes. And so, Jimmer, you, you, you made that jump. You, you paid for your school through basketball. And uh, you're at BYU. And, and, you know, your first season there, what, you averaged nine points, second season, 16. So every year you got gradually better. Um, Talk about that journey through the course of your freshman season uh, going into your senior year. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, I I had a, just an amazing experience, you know, at BYU with with my teammates and with Coach Rose and his coaching staff. Um, you know, obviously they were uh, one of the few college coaches that really believed in me and wanted me to come to their to their program and be a part of it. And uh, Coach Rose took over few years before I got there and I mean he just turned that program around um in a heartbeat and they were winning 20 games and competing for for conference championships and winning conference championships and making it to the NCAA tournament and you know I saw that and wanted to be a part of it and uh you know I got there my freshman year and uh most of the kids you know on my team didn't even know who I was you know they they just heard heard this kid from from New York was coming and you know he's a a big time scorer and, you know, averaged, you know, 30 points a game and all this stuff. And then they, I got there the first day on campus and, and they were all like, 
you're the kid that did this. This is like, <laughs> this is you. And, you know, they were all just kind of laughing about it and like, what's going on? And, uh, you know, once I started playing, I think they quickly found out, you know, why I was able to score it, why I was able to play like that. But, um, you know, my freshman year, things didn't necessarily um, come easy to me. You know, Coach Rose, um, you know, had two senior guards that had been there for five years. Both of them redshirted, um, went on missions. Uh, they were both 24, 25 years old, you know, in college and, and really mature players and good basketball players. But I was, um, you know, backing up, uh, you know, those guys. And uh, that was difficult for me because that was the first time that I ever, you know, come off the bench to play. Right. Um, so I just continued to, to work and, you know, I felt like, you know, I wanted to be a part of the team more and wanted to play more as a competitor. So what I did is that freshman year, if I didn't play much in, you know, in the game, I would, I would basically take practices as games. I would, you know, go into practice. I'd get my headphones on. I'd get myself pumped up. I'd lace, lace them up, and I'd go into those practices, you know, as if I was playing in a game because sometimes I, they were my games. They were, they were to be able to make myself known that I wanted to play more and that I could play more and that I could help more. And having that type of mentality, you know, toward, uh, throughout the year, towards the end of the year, I was able to get in more and start to play more and then ultimately as a sophomore, um, was able to to start and and never look back. Um, so, but Coach Rose didn't give give it to me easy. He made me work for it, and uh, I I'm you know looking back and I'm truly blessed to be able to have that to have, um, you know not it not it handed to me because uh, you know I didn't have any sense of entitlement. I needed to work for it, and that's you know who I've been, you know my whole entire life. So it was uh, it was awesome for him to be able to to do that for me. Well, you know obviously you you earned it. And and I'm going to let you in on a little secret because I feel like um, I had a little bit to do with Coach Rose's drive to want to win a national championship back in 1983. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, don't you? 1983, yes, I do. NC State played five slam yeah. jamma, and Coach Rose was on that team. Yes, he was. And uh, as a matter of fact, he got a lot of minutes that game because Clyde Drexler got in foul trouble. So he came oh, in. Okay. He came in there and hacked me to death, Jimmer. <laughs> That's what he is. He's a competitor. Yes, he That's is. One thing he is. He's he going to go in there and play hard against anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, let's let's jump to your senior year. Um, right. You know, there's a point in your obviously a point in your career. Maybe it was before your senior year. There was a point. There's a point in I think every great player's career where they know, right? They 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 know that. That not necessarily they're the guy, but they know they've got something, right? They know that that what they've worked for has finally started to come to fruition. Now the work doesn't stop, but you know that your shoulders have to be strong. Did that happen in your junior year or your senior year? Yeah, it did. It happened in my junior year actually, and uh, I can remember the exact game. And um, it was towards the beginning of the season in our junior year. We went out and played against uh, Arizona at Arizona in the McHale Center. And, uh, you know, obviously a really difficult place to play. Um, they had a very good team that year. Uh, Derek Williams was on the team and Kyle Fogg and, you know, a bunch of NBA players um, that, was, that were on that team. And, you know, we were, you know, we weren't, um, you know, we were a good team, but we weren't favored to win that game. They were, you know, top 15 team and playing well. Coach Miller and everybody was there and, and uh, we went into that game, and uh, I put up 49 points, 
and had nine threes. <laughs> and uh, we went in and just we beat them by like 20 points. And, uh, you know, I just felt like one of those games where you just kind of felt unconscious. Yeah. And um, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was like, you know, this is against NBA talent in their arena in a hostile, hostile environment against a great team. And I was able to go in there and dominate the game. And uh, and I could just feel at that point, like, you know, people are going to start taking notice at, at this point. They're going to start taking notice of, of our team, BYU, and also myself as a, as a basketball player and a, and a true um, person that could that could make it to the NBA. Um, and then I just knew at that point, you know, I couldn't let it be a one-and-done deal. I had to continue it and continue to get better and push forward and have our team get better and win games. And um, and we continued to do that. I continued to work hard and had some some other big moments. But I remember that was the first moment where I was like, you know what, this this could this could happen. Well, you know, I had a few moments in my in my college career that you, know, you talk about that unconscious feeling, uh, and I felt that a few times. Felt it a few times in the NBA. But man, you played unconscious, dude. <laughs> it was, <laughs> sure. You know, you 100%. look at you go back and you look under look at the numbers of what you were able to do your junior year going into your senior year, um, you know, from a kid from Glen Falls, New York, I mean, you, you had to be at a point where you knew that whoever you were going to play against, um, you were going to go out there and, and, and show them who Jimmer Fredette was. And and I think I know you. You came on our, our show at the Jazz set years ago, and yeah. I, I think that was really the first time I'd gotten to know you and your personality but I, I didn't see you as and, – and listen, for some guys, uh, it's okay. I played with a, guy, a bunch of guys who were trash talkers, but they were different kind of trash talkers, right? There were some guys that if right. you provoked them, they they answered back, not just with their game but with their mouth. I mean, Larry Bird did that to me once, and it wasn't even right. my fault. Um, the, guy who <laughs> I, the guy who I went in for was talking trash to Larry, right? And then when Coach pulled him out of the game – and put me in, the first thing Larry said to me, he said, you ready for yours, young fella? <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble. So uh, um, what kind of yeah. what kind of personality were you? Were you a trash talker when you needed to be? Um, did you just talk with your game? Did you have players you played against that were like, come on, dude, I got, the, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm a competitive guy, so I, I definitely don't, I'm not the one that's going to start it, but if someone says something, then I'll definitely, I'll definitely try to finish it. I'll definitely try to finish it. And, um, you know, so I think that's kind of my personality. Um, but as I get into the game, I just, you know, a lot of people, you know, just kind of say, I just, I'm just a, I'm a killer. I'm a scoring killer. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to, like, I'm, I'm trying to score at all costs. That's my that's my game. That's what I do. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to score and shoot it every single time I touch it, but I feel like if I'm aggressive, if I'm trying to score the basketball, then it's going to open everything else for my teammates. That's what they expect, and I'll make the right play from right. there. But yeah. I'm looking to score the basketball at all costs. Love and uh, I've had that mentality my whole life. Um, you know, I've always been able to shoot the ball, and I, uh, that's what – that's what brought me to where you know I was to that point. So I just felt like I need to continue to do that, continue to be aggressive, score the basketball. And you know, obviously, if someone got in my way, I was just gonna try to go right through them. I was just gonna try to go right through them and, and not worry about it and be like, hey, Ethan, like I feel like I'm the best player on the floor every single time I step on the floor. So because of that, I feel like I put in 
the effort and the, the, the opportunity. I mean, I put in the work off of the court, so I feel like I deserve to go out there and play well. That's your and, reward. Um, that's, that's, how I, that's how I truly thought, and that's how I played. I love it, man. So uh, you need to take me back to, to Glen Falls again because uh, in your senior year, you went back there to play, didn't you? And half the half the city showed yeah. up. Oh man, what that was probably my one of my favorite games I've ever played in. I mean, uh, we played against Vermont uh, University of Vermont, who's actually a pretty good basketball school. Um, but and they had a decent team that year. But just to be able, like Coach Rose, one of his things is that for his seniors, he tries to bring a game pretty close to their hometown. Whoever is, you know, whoever's senior year. Uh, whether you're from Ohio or from New York or wherever, um, he he always wants to try to play a game pretty close to your area so that you can have your family and friends come and see. Right. And I never thought in a million years we'd be able to get in a game in Clemson Falls, New York. I mean, we have a small civic center there that holds about 6,000 people. Um, we always have the New York State uh, basketball tournament there. And But, I mean, who's going to want to – schedule a game to come play us in Glens Falls, New York. And, uh, you know, UVM was willing to do it, and Coach Rose got it done, and BYU, the the whole school, and, and uh, Tom Homo and Brian Santiago, those guys got it Those guys got it done. And literally there was probably 10,000 people in the stands, and it holds 6,000. You know what I mean? Wow. So, I mean. Where they put them all? Everybody was there. Oh, they were standing. They, were, they would stand like 10 deep uh, around the railings on the top. You know, they had a ton of floor seats, and they'd be, every seat was filled, and then they just stand around the the top of the railings. Screw the you know, fire! Just, screw the fire code. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it doesn't matter about anything about that. They were just like the fire. The fire people were in there. Watching, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So, I mean, if, if there was something going on, no, there was no problem. Everyone was there. Everyone knew what was going on, and it was just a surreal game. And uh, we went out there, and, and one of the one of the funnier parts that. You know, my my family enjoyed, and that people that were watching, you know, on TV enjoyed is that there everyone was, you know, obviously we're we're in Glens Falls, we're red, red and black, mm-hmm. and uh, at BYU we're, we're blue. So, you know, there was everyone was in blue, and there was a ton of people on the uh, the front row, and they all had BYU shirts on. And it's funny because BYU obviously is a is a, a, a church school, um, and everyone was drinking a beer in the front row and they had their BYU shirts on and they were just having a great time and, and people were just loving it. And I thought it was just really funny and, and just uh, an unbelievable experience and just something I'll never forget for sure. So I think there's still rivals in, in college basketball, NBA, not so much. And sometimes even in college, you know, when guys leave that you don't have maybe the personal rivalries, but, schools you do and and correct me if i'm wrong there's something with byu and gonzaga and there's something maybe with byu maybe when the time you played in san diego state competitive wise Mm -hmm. so talk to me about uh, the games that you had against gonzaga i know when you were a senior um you beat them in the tournament yep and they were 11th seed at that time yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, BYU, uh, we were, I was right before we moved, moved into the West Coast Conference. So I was in yep. the w, uh, the uh, Mount West. And uh, so we played Gonzaga, our, yeah, like you said, my senior year to get into the Sweet 16. And they were really good that year. 
Um, they had some NBA players on their team, and um, you know John Stockton, kid, uh, kid was on the team, and and they were really good. They were playing great basketball, and uh, they had just beaten St. John's, who was like a yeah, they were like a six seed or something. They beat St. John's by about thirty points in the first round, and just looked amazing. You know, they they were just playing really good basketball, and and we had just beat Wofford, and obviously we were playing good basketball, so we thought it was going to be a really good matchup. Um, and, uh, you know, we went in there and we, we put it on them pretty good. I mean, we beat them by about 20 points and I was able to, to score well. I think I had six or seven threes and 37 points or so. And, and, uh, you know, we, we played great and to be able to reach it to the sweet 16, which is something that BYU hadn't done in a long time is, was something that was super special. But the, those games that we had against, uh, San Diego state, my senior year, um, those were a lot of fun. I mean, the, both times that we played San Diego State my senior year, we were both ranked in the top ten. And uh, that doesn't happen very often in the Mountain West Conference. Right. Um, but they had Kawhi Leonard and Billy White, and um, they had Jamal Franklin, and, and just guys that were really great basketball players, but they were just big, athletic, strong guys, and they could really play. And, um, you know, we were able to beat them twice in the regular season at our place and at their place. And, um, you know, the one, the game at our place was the one that was special. And that was the game that really honestly changed my life, like, overnight. Um, everyone knew that uh, we were playing against San Diego State, and they were ranked three in the country at that point. We were seven. And um, it was 23,000 people in the Marriott Center. And, uh, you know, I went off and had 43 points that game, and we were able to beat them. And they were undefeated at that point. And at that time twitter was just kind of popping up gotcha. so i just after that game everyone was tweeting about the game it was kevin durant it was steve nash it was nelly it was you know just music stars um you know rappers basketball players uh, you know uh superstars they were just tweeting about this game because everyone was tuning in to watch it and uh, everyone stormed the court and uh, after that game i really wasn't able to go out into public much without being just, um, you know, swarmed by people for pictures and autographs. And, uh, but the, the rivalry itself was, was amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it, it only happens, I feel like in college. Well, that's definitely when that, that pop culture lore we talked about at the beginning of the show started. Uh, I mean, I remember those games. I remember just being glued to the screen and watching, uh, you and Kawhi kind of go back and forth, and just as a team, you guys being able to to outlast them on both occasions. Um, <clears throat> so even in talking about that, you had an opportunity. That's your senior year, but let's step back yeah. a year because you thought about foregoing your senior year, didn't you, and going right to the NBA? I did. Yeah, I definitely. I it was. I definitely wanted to test the waters my junior year. Um, I had I had had a really great year and. Um, we uh, we had a great year as a team, and you know I was projected as like a late first round pick, possibly early second round. So I kind of just wanted to test the waters and see where I would be at, basically. And um, but at back back when I did it, um, they have a new rule where you can you know wait all the way up until like I don't even remember it now. It's like May or June yeah. to, to drop out of the draft. But when I when I first did it, you only had like ten days mm-hmm. to figure out whether you're able to to be in the draft or not. So I had five workouts in 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 like six or seven days, 
and I just went and worked out for a bunch of teams and um, got as much info as I could. And all the info that I had getting coming back is still I thought I was going to be like a late first round or early second round pick. And for me, I just felt like I had more to prove. You know, I had more to prove. And one of the biggest things and one of the biggest reasons why I decided I wanted to come back is because I knew our team was going to be really, really good. Right. And I knew that if our team was going to be really good, I, we would get a lot of exposure nationally, play a lot of big games. We could make a really good run in the tournament. And, um, you know, if I was able to kind of spearhead a lot of that, then, um, you know, it was only going to be beneficial to, you know, my draft stock. And, and I knew that I was going to be an unforgettable experience with my teammates was that and, a, and i just love being at uyu so was that, that was the reason why i came back was that a family decision jimmer or was that a personal decision? yeah for sure I, yeah no it was it was there was family involved um you know i spoke with my brother and my dad i also spoke with um you know my my girlfriend at the time whitney who's now my wife you know i i spoke to her because i knew you know we we're on the track towards, you know, getting engaged and, and hopefully married. And uh, so I spoke with her because she was a year younger than me and, um, you know, spoke with her about it, you know, because she was really good and supportive and just kind of was able to, to help me through it, thinking logically about it. And uh, just talking to everybody, talking to Coach Rose and, and with, um, you know, different people. Um, I spoke with Danny Ainge because um, one of the teams I, sp- I, I worked out for was the Celtics. Um, and, uh, you know, I spoke with all these people and, and then ultimately made the, the decision to come back. And I, I, I was, it was the best decision I made, you know, outside of, uh, marriage. <laughs> I love it, man. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into the NBA. You're drafted 10th pick, um, by the Bucks, and then they make the trade to Sacramento, um, now you've you've enjoyed all of this. I mean, you just talked about the game against San Diego State that started Jimmer Mania, and now you're transitioning over to the next level. Did you have any expectations, maybe, uh, of what that may or may not look like after you went tenth in the draft? Um, what what was your mindset going into that next level? Yeah, I mean, the mindset was that I was going to go in and, and make an impact right away. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a guy that they could rely on every night to play and to produce for them um, and to be able to, you know, to be a part of, um, you know, All-Star Weekend, the rookie sophomore game, you know, different things like that. Uh, you know, I really felt like, you know, I was going to come in and be able to play and play well. Um, you know, that's that's how competitors think, and that's how I thought, um, you know, coming into it. And, you know, so, you know, that's that's 100% the mindset that I had going in. And, um, you know, things didn't necessarily work out exactly how I wanted it to those first couple of years, but I, I definitely believed that, um, you know, I could be great and still, um, you know, be very successful at that level by scoring the basketball. Why Why don't you think – why didn't you think they worked out? I mean, everybody has opinions, and you know you read yeah, stuff. And, yeah. And, but you know, personally, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of times you have to be the right place, the right time, the right organization. What was it for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that has a lot of, lot to do with it. I think you know one thing that hurt me, I think, was um, you know coming in, I was I was drafted by Paul Westfall, yeah. and um, you know he was a guy that truly believed in me and wanted me to be a part of the team with the Sacramento Kings. And, um, you know, was a, was a guy that, that believed in my game. 
and um, you know, two weeks into the season, he was he was fired, and then uh, a new coach came in, and you know, the new coach, Coach Smart, Keith Smart, you know, he was trying to figure out who he wanted to to be on the team and on the roster, so he was changing things up a lot. Um, you know, so one game I'd play a lot, the next game I wouldn't, and and and, and that happened to a lot of guys on the Kings at that time because he was trying to find a group that he liked that he wanted to to be a part of and and he wanted to play to try to keep his job as well as as much as he could right um so that that inconsistency um for me really hurt me for sure because you know going in and trying not to you know not knowing whether to what i was going to play or whether i wasn't going to play um you know for me it was it was difficult to go in and be able to produce on a consistent level every single night um you know so you know obviously you know, I, there were some games that I just didn't play well. You know, just didn't didn't score the ball well. Didn't do what I thought I needed to out there. There were some games where I didn't have you know necessarily the confidence that I that I've always had in in my life. And then there were some games where I felt really good and I played really well. But it just uh, um, the consistency was the thing that was difficult for me. And ultimately, I think that that's um, you know why things didn't work out. So during the course of of your NBA journey. Um, and I know you ended up going overseas to play uh, in China and then in Greece. But and, and I'm not much on hindsight, but I'll ask you. I know you still had that goal. I know you signed the contract. So were you determined at a certain point? I mean, you, you had some experience uh, in what was then uh, the developmental league wasn't the G League, it was the D League then. And so was there a certain point where you were just determined to hang in there no matter what because you knew you could have a great career in the NBA? Yeah, there were a few times. I mean, um, one time specifically is, is um, so after my last year with the New Orleans, mm-hmm. it was my fourth season in the NBA. Um, at that point, there there wasn't a ton of teams calling, but um, you know the Spurs ended up calling me and, and, and offering me a, a half guaranteed contract at that point. And um, so I went to the training camp and went through all the preseason and everything. And then at the end of the preseason, I got cut by the Spurs, and that was something that was that was definitely difficult for me because I had never been cut from a team. Right. And uh, to have someone come in and, and say, hey, you know. We we don't want you to be a part of the team. That was that was tough, but I still felt like I could play. You know what I mean? I still felt like I could, um, you know, be successful and, and help an NBA team um, if I just was able to get into the right situation. So I decided instead of going overseas and playing at that time, I went to the D League um, and played for the Westchester Knicks and uh, and had a really good season with the Westchester Knicks. Um, you know, was a, a D league all-star was the MVP of the all-star game. Um, you know, was, you know, uh, all, all, all NBA, all G league and NBA and, and was able to get a call up, um, to play for the Knicks for a little while. And, um, you know, that didn't, didn't work out. I was able to play the whole time, but I was able to get back up into the NBA after having that season. But I just, you know, continued at that point to feel like, you know, if I got in the right situation in the right spot, if the team gave me the right opportunity, that I would be able to still succeed. So, you know, I always had that that type of mentality, and honestly, to this day, I still feel that way. You know what I mean? If I was in the right spot, I could still 
produce and play well and and you know because i can score the basketball at a high level and shoot and and um you know so you never lose that that confidence um but you know you also have to be realistic and figure out what's the best opportunity for you and your family at that point to further your career and make maximize your opportunity and um you know that's what i decided to do and i can empathize with that because at a certain point in my career after i the jazz traded me to minnesota after eight years and then um, played in Minnesota for three years. My contract ran out. I, I made the decision to go overseas and play. And right. uh, it was my first experience. And you'll, you'll like this. I played for a team called Panonios. Oh, yeah, in Greece. That's yep, right. They're still there. In Greece. They are still yep. there. I think they've got the smallest gym. They only seats like 1,200 people. And, and there's no. It's super small. I just, no, one of our last games was against them. And no heat, <laughs> no heat at all. So I, I went over there. It was a different experience for me. But the one thing it did, besides the money being really good at that time, was it gave me a sense of renewed passion for the game. We weren't winning yeah. anything in Minnesota, right? And, right. and my, my minutes were kind of dwindling because of my age, because you know I was in my prime. So I elected to go overseas, and I got this renewed energy because when you're an American, yeah. now I wasn't Jimmer. But they relied on me, Jimmer, every single night, <laughs> and you know how that is. So for what sure. did that do for you once you decided to, to take that flight? For sure. And, uh, you know, honestly, going over and, and playing in China was the pro- one of the better decisions that I've made, you know, in my basketball career. And, um, you know, I was nervous at first to go overseas. I had never been overseas, and especially going over to China to play. Yeah. You know, I'd heard some horror stories of different guys that have gone over there and played and either not gotten money or, you know, or, you know, the the team was, you know, difficult to work with and, you know, things didn't work out and got cut and, and sent back quickly. And then after that, you know, it's difficult to find a, another job, really good job. So, you know, there was there was definitely some uh, some moments of that I had to, to think about it and really decide what I wanted to do. And, and ultimately, I, you know, Yao Ming was the owner of the Shanghai Sharks and he wanted me to come over and play for his team. And, um, so I, I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And, uh, my wife was, was good with it. And, uh, I decided to go over there and, uh, that changed my, you know, my basketball career at that point. I mean, I went from a guy that got cut and, and was in the D D league and, you know, people saying that, you know, I was a bust and couldn't make it and all these different things. And then all of a sudden I go over to China and start playing and, uh, you know, people start seeing me score the basketball again at an extremely high level. And, um, you know, I was able to win the MVP that first season. Our our team was, um, you know, a team that it was out of the playoffs um, for the last three years before I got there. And then once I was able to get there, we turned around and we were the number one team in the league for the for pretty much the whole season. I was able to make it to the quarterfinals and had a great, um, just a, a great season. It was really um, something that changed my mentality. It changed my confidence level. Um, and, you know, it, it changed a lot of people's minds that were back here in the U.S. being like, oh, he couldn't make it to be like, oh, why isn't he in the NBA? Yeah. And um, so that was kind of a, a cool I was saying that. to see as well. Yeah, for sure. There was <laughs> Most people would say that. And that's kind of, it kind of changed the narrative, honestly, when I was able to go over there and people were able to see me kind of be me again. And uh, I had an amazing time doing it. It was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And stayed there for three years. Well, I spent a year in, in Greece, man. And let me tell you something. I thought the NBA was physical. 
man, I went over there <laughs> and they were they were knocking me all around. I had to really get used to it because it wasn't you know it, the physical yeah basketball that I played in the NBA was nothing like what you were able to get away with, especially at the time I played in Greece. I lived. Did you live in Glyfada? And when you were in, the, I didn't quite live. I know exactly where it is. I lived um, more towards downtown. Okay, but uh, yeah, beautiful area. Yeah. So you know, it was a whole different adjustment for me to play that kind of physical basketball. But um, how'd you and your family find Greece? We we loved it. You know, actually, my my wife loved it. We, the the guys that were on our team were were great guys they had um, we had several guys with kids on the team so my little ones and my wife enjoyed being over there with them um and and hanging out and obviously it's a beautiful country um the food is great um the uh the the weather is really nice it's sunny most of the time so off the court we had a great time and really enjoyed it and then the the guys on the team were awesome and like i said we had a really great team um, but Europe is definitely a different beast. I mean, uh, the the basketball is is very physical, but also it's um, now nowadays it's very much um, you know everyone plays twenty minutes a game. Everyone gets you know five to five to eight shots a game. Everyone you know plays the same amount, and you shoot the same amount, and it's very 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 structured, yeah. um, tactical, and team oriented. And uh, so coming from China, that was a big adjustment for me. And I knew it was going to be an adjustment, but it definitely was a big adjustment because over there you're the, you're the man and, you know, you can shoot anytime you want and you can, you're, you're controlling the ball and you're controlling the game. Whereas over in, in Greece, I was off guard and didn't have the ball nearly as much and, you know, was getting about five to seven shots a game and, you know, just had to be more efficient, you know, when you got out there and played. Um, so it was definitely a big adjustment for me to be able to do that. But I, I still enjoyed it. I love playing in the EuroLeague games. It's extremely competitive. Um, there's a lot of really great talent um, in the EuroLeague. And I was able to go and see, you know, some of the coolest places in all of Europe, in, in all, all of the, these amazing cities that we get to go and see and experience. Um, you know, so it was, uh, we, had a, we had a really, really great experience. Well, man, I, I could talk to you all day long, but I, I, I wanted to jump into a couple of things about Jimmer that you could tell me. What's Jimmer like as a father? <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm very uh, playful. I like to, I like to get, you know, I have a little girl who's three and a boy who's one, and um, you know, I, I, I'm always trying to play with them. You just have a good time. I'm, I try to be the fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> discipline too much obviously i will if i have to but i like to go out there and and throw them in the air and you know tackle them and lift them up by their legs and you know play play ball with them and and, and just kind of run around with them let them jump all over me and and try to be as playful and, and as fun as i can and i try to enjoy you know every moment that i have with them because you know as a basketball player you're gone a lot yeah um especially playing overseas um so I try to enjoy it as much as I can and just, uh, you know, have fun with them. So basically what you're saying is your wife, Whitney, has three kids, right? <laughs> 100%. And four with our dog. There you go. With our dog. So she pretty much has four. <laughs> so, so, Jimmy, before I let you go, you talked about that, that setting, that list that you started when you were a kid and the contract you signed. Um, and you also talked about uh, you being that way today. You're a goal setter. 
Uh, what's the future look like for Jim and for that? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, this, this upcoming year I'll be, you know, a free agent. Um, you know, I have a, an option to go back to Greece if I want to, or I could go play somewhere else. So I don't know exactly where I'm going to be yet, where I'm going to play yet. But as soon as I know, I'll definitely uh, set a goal of myself um, to, you know, figure out what it is that I want to want to do. And obviously I'll, I'll want to, you know, have a, a great season wherever it is that I am. But, you know, I've, I've also started to, you know, try to make some, some goals and some set some goals you know, beyond basketball, beyond beyond basketball with, you know, getting into different things that I want to be uh, doing after basketball. And, uh, you know, so I've started to set goals, you know, outside of basketball through through my work and what I want to do. Um, one of them is real estate that I, you know, getting involved in and, and setting goals there and figuring out exactly what I, what I want to do and how I want to do it. So um, I think this is been a really as, as tough as it has been to be quarantined and you know for everyone it's been a great opportunity um to figure out what life is going to be like after basketball and i've tried to take this opportunity to set goals and and figure out exactly what i'm going to do afterwards and um you know so i think that's been been a blessing but something that i'll continue to set goals in and try to reach them you know after my career is over with well jimmer as you're thinking about those goals, I want you to keep this in mind because I think you already know this, um, is that you have a great story. You have a great journey. I know it's not done yet, but the things you've gone through to do what you love are an inspiration to so many people. And so I envision you walking into some sort of arena, maybe after your playing days, and it's filled with 10,000-plus people, parents with their kids alike, sitting in the stands, waiting for you to talk to them about something, waiting for you to give that message to their kids. There's millions of kids out there who who want to learn from Jimmer for debt. So if you had to draw that down, though this might be a tough question, you had to draw that down. In, in speaking, they say, begin with the end in mind. What is it that you would want those kids to know, not just the kids, but the parents to know about their goals? That's a great question. Um, You know, for me, I think the biggest thing is for for goal setting is that it gives you it gives you a structure of to be able to to work hard at something that you truly that you truly love and. That's the big thing for me is that, you know, I love the game of basketball. And since I love the game of basketball, I was able to, to set a goal and I was able to have fun and enjoy the journey while I was trying to reach that goal. And um, that's, a, that's a huge part of it. You hear it all the time is being able to enjoy the journey that you're on. Um, because once you get to the end, um, sometimes you, you figure out, like, what, what's next? What am I going to do? So make sure that you, you know, I, I want the kids to enjoy the journey, work hard at their goal, and also one thing that I've learned in my in my day is control the things that you can control. And the three things that you can control, you can control your attitude, you can control your work ethic, and you can control if you're happy or not. And And I think those things, if you can control those things on a daily basis, 
Um, you're going to move forward towards your goal each and every single day, but you're also going to um, make sure that you're having fun doing so and not worrying about um, other outside distractions that maybe you won't be able to control. There's not much you can do about them. And it'll make you focus in on what you can control and, and reach your goals a little bit better. So that's what I would that's what I would say to the kids and the parents. Well, I have a younger son, uh, Bryson, who will be a junior in high school next year. He wanted to make sure I got that question in, and also my collegiate son, Brendan, who's uh, just finished his sophomore year at Marquette. So I wanted to get those in. Right. Uh, but Jimmer, I can't thank you enough. We've all been Jimmered today. And <laughs> it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, F. Gotti Stoll, because I know you know what yeah, that means. Yeah, F. Stoll, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, no, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak to everyone. Well, thank you, man. Uh, blessings to your family. Take care of yourself in this strange the strange times and uh we'll see you down the road yeah. all right sounds good thanks, thanks Jimmer. and thank you everybody for joining us today on this episode of thorough talk with jimmer for we'll see you next time